0: the new testament writer says that as we draw nearer to god he will draw nearer to us and so it is appropriate that we pray in song that we want to be nearer to our god I invite you to open your bibles to the old testament book of micah and in chapter seven we're going to spend some time in that seventh division of the book of micah tonight Thankful for all those who are present here. As Brother John said, we're glad you're here. We have a lot of visitors with us, people who are new to the community, people from the community, those who are traveling, and we are so very thankful for the presence of each and every one, and we hope that what we are doing as we have prayed tonight will be pleasing to our God. When you stop and think about it, everything we have done tonight, and Deanna has done a nice job of putting together those songs is about what the angels proclaimed when Jesus came. It's us praising God for the fact that he is in our midst. And as a result of that, we can be nearer to God. And that all fits very well with the message of tonight, which is a very simple one that comes from Micah chapter 7. When we think about the concept of a God who hears us and a God who listens to us, and a God who cares about us. I really want us to focus just on one verse together tonight. But I want to read the preceding six verses along with verse 7 to really get a better picture of Micah 7 verse 7. Verse 7 says, Therefore I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. And that's where our focus is going to be tonight. But go back to verse 1 where in my Bible, the subheading that has been edited by men simply says, Sorrow for the Sins of Israel. And we know that prophets like Micah and Isaiah, one of his contemporaries, that these were prophets who wrote not only about things that had transpired, but about things that would transpire. And they were warnings to a people that were either unfaithful to the Lord or who were getting closer to being unfaithful to God. In many ways, the job of prophets thousands of years ago is similar to the jobs that we have, whether we are preachers or teachers or just everyday Christians, going about the process of trying to teach the gospel to others. But he begins by saying in chapter 7 and verse 1, where the Holy Spirit directs him to say, "'Woe is me.'" And any time in scripture, the phrase, woe is me is used. it's It's an opportunity for us to kind of pause and say something big has happened or is about to occur. For I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit, which my soul desires. Verse two, the faithful man has perished from the earth. And there is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. That they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks to bribe. And the great man utters his evil desire. And they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is a sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen and your punishment comes Now shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore... And as good Bible students, when the word therefore is used, we know it's there for a reason. But therefore, I will look to the Lord. Given everything in the bleak picture that's been painted, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. You know, this would be a pretty uh, unfortunate sermon if it were entitled, My God Might Hear Me. Or I sure hope my God hears me. But this is a definitive title and a definitive statement made some, what, 25, 2600 years ago by a holy man of God who says, My God will hear me. And we have prayed tonight earnestly for those who are suffering physically. We have prayed today for individuals who we care about who are suffering spiritually. We are praying for those who have yet to know the name of Jesus the Christ. And our hope is that the door will be opened to them and open to us to share with them that message. We want God to hear us when we pray about these things. I want us to look at that verse tonight, but I want us to begin by looking at Micah and its context. And just a quick review of Micah. And when I say quick, it'll be a matter of 60 seconds or so. When we think about Micah, it's important to know that many of the minor prophets, we know what their names meant. And that is certainly the case with Micah, whose name means who is like Jehovah, who is like our God. And we appreciate the fact that throughout his work, which spans, as we divide it, just seven chapters. So it's a relatively short book, as most of the minor prophets were. A major concept found within the book from chapters 1 through 7 is that God must be understood, must be appreciated, and must be learned for both his severity and his goodness. In many ways, Micah is a composite of the Bible which tells us about God's severity and that if we are unfaithful to him, we will be punished, but also his goodness That if we are faithful to him, we will be rewarded. I referenced Isaiah. It seems as if Isaiah and Micah would have written at about the same times. And it seems that was the case given the fact that the concept of the Messiah resonated. Certainly, when we think about familiar passages, probably the two most familiar passages in all of Micah, not chapter 7, verse 7. But chapter 5, verse 2, which is a prophecy of the birth of Jesus, we are familiar with that. We see that verse referenced quite often. And probably the most quoted verse of the book of Micah is chapter 6 and a favorite of many who are present here tonight in verse 8. Where it says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God. I want us to look at chapter 7, verse 7, though, because that was the verse that jumped out to me. And I uh, actually uh, wrote this sermon probably about six months ago, seven months ago, and I just kind of shelved it for a while. So I wrote this very early early in the pandemic that we've hopefully come through, or we're getting close to coming through. Let's be optimistic. But I looked at verse 7, and it said, Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So one of the things that I like to do, and I know you like to do as well, and these days with technology, it's so easy to do, is to look at some alternative versions of it. I'm using the new King James version tonight where it says, "I look to the Lord, the, I, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me." Many of you like the New American Standard, which reads, But as for me, I will watch expectedly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I like that word, expectedly. We'll come back and talk about that here in just a second or two. The NIV says, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. And then the NLT actually uses the phrase, my God will certainly hear me. But no matter what version you're reading from, you get this very emphatic, God's going to hear me. That when I pray to him, that when I lean on him, that when I depend on him, he will be there for me. There is no doubt that my God will hear me. As you approach this week and all of your difficulties, as you think about the rest of this relatively new month, and as you think about the balance of 2021, this year that has seemed to gone by rather quickly, God will hear you no matter what your challenge is, as long as you are one of his children and are faithful to his cause, and he will provide for you. What I want to do tonight is very simple. There are three phrases I want to look at those three phrases and spend just a few moments on each of those three phrases to really appreciate. And I want to allow the text to speak for itself by using about a dozen psalms to really help us amplify the message. One of the things that I really enjoy doing is when studying the Old Testament, especially some of the prophets, where you can sometimes get a little bit caught up in the weeds of who was he writing to, what time was going on, and whose captivity are we dealing with here? is going back and just allowing the text to speak for itself. And I found that the Psalms really amplify the message of Micah here in chapter 7, verse 7. I want us to start with the first phrase where he says, I will look to God. By the way, that anticipates a belief in God. That's not the scope of our study tonight. The fact is, is I'm sure you believe in God. You wouldn't be here. But it may be that there are some who are here tonight who are questioning that whether there is a God or certainly someone who may be listening or certainly friends of ours, acquaintances of ours, even family of ours that are wondering whether or not God actually exists. When he says, I will look to God, he's saying, I believe that there is a God to look to. And I go back to the New American Standard where he says, I'm looking expectedly towards God. That is, there's an expectation that God, as soon as I look for him, God says, yes, I'm here. And it reminds me in many ways of Luke chapter 15, where in the latter third of that triad of parables or of the single parable that Jesus references it in chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 where you find where the son comes to himself and he comes home and his father looks afar off and sees him and rushes out to meet him and he says, son, welcome home. That's the God that we serve that we can expect to be there for us. The fact of the matter is, is you and I serve a God that cares about us deeply. I would also argue that based on passages like Matthew chapter 24 that there should be an eagerness associated with watching for God. Matthew chapter 24 is where it talks about uh, the idea of a thief in the night or which is a phrase that is used by other writers. And in Matthew chapter 24 where we see the gospel message delivered in the life of Jesus We find in verse 42, Watch therefore, for you don't know what hour your Lord is coming, but know that if the master of the house had known that the hour of the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. And so there should be this expectation, this preparedness. And that's one of the reasons why every time we come together, you stop and think about every time we come together in this building we do so without fail, providing an invitation of the Lord. Because we are so insistent that if there is someone who is not a Christian or someone who is floundering as a Christian or someone who is struggling as a Christian, that we want to be there to help. Why do we do that? Is that just because David and I can't find a way to conclude our sermons otherwise? Or is it because that Every time we come together, it is important that people are invited to follow Jesus Christ because one day we will stand before him. Looking unto God means there is no other place to look. In fact, in John chapter 6, just a couple of probably pages over from there in Matthew chapter 24, as these books are relatively short and, and certainly easy to read, But in John chapter 6, and beginning in about verse 65 of that lengthy chapter, he says, Therefore I have said to you, No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So, what happened in the first century happens today. People say, "I'll, I'll serve you, Jesus. And then they say, No, thank you. It's too costly. Verse 67, Jesus says to his 12, do you also want to go away? And then Peter simply says, now when Peter speaks up, sometimes we want to cringe and say, please don't say what you're about to say. But this is one of those occasions where Peter says something like, Now you're right on, Peter. And in verse 68 says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I want to look at the Psalms and then also look at the contemporary Isaiah for moment. Let's look at four Old Testament passages that will help us with Micah chapter 7 and verse 7. I want to start back in the book of Psalms, Psalm 123, and then we're going to go to Psalm 121. Psalm 123, and we could read all of these Psalms if we had a lot of time tonight, but we'll just read the individual verses. Behold, as the eyes of servants, this is 123 verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. What are your eyes fixed on, to borrow from the New American Standard of Hebrews chapter 12? Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. He says, our eyes look to the Lord our God. Just a chapter or two, Psalm back in 121, it starts out in a similar way as 123 starts. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And, of course, the key word that I'm getting at here is the word eyes. Where our eyes look. What do we do with our eyes? We see, we perceive, and we look. In Isaiah, which, as I referenced a few moments ago, has similarities to the work that Micah does. In Isaiah chapter 31 and in verse 1, Notice what he says here. He says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and who rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But, here's the woe to me, here's what's wrong with looking for that help. It's outside help, it's not God-ordained help, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek The Lord. We as human beings in 2021 have an awful habit of when we are in trouble or when we are troubled, we look to everybody else for help. We are anxious to borrow from our study in Philippians chapter 4. And what do we not do? Go to God. And that should be our first go to location. This is where I go for help. Dear God, please help me. I will look to you for assistance. Turn over, if you would, to a fourth passage in Isaiah chapter 45. And in verse 22, there late in the 45th chapter, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God is saying, look at me. Now, a bonus passage that we're going to include tonight, just because you decided to be here, is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which I referenced a few moments or so ago. But Hebrews 12, verse 2, is a beautiful passage that says, Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I will look to God. And as I reference, some of you have a version that says, fixing my eyes on Jesus or fixing your eyes on Jesus. So I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So we start by looking to God. Secondly, we wait for God and patience, they say is a virtue. Patience is sometimes tough. And sometimes when you pray for patience, God gives you things that you didn't anticipate, and you learn patience sometimes the hard way. Remember that in some versions, the word is used confidently. I will wait for God confidently, he says in Micah chapter 7, verse 7. Trust is key to waiting on God. When we wait on God, we are saying, God, you're in control. Do it in your time, in your ways. In fact, do we not sing a song from time to time and we say, in his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful, not in our time. He doesn't do things on our schedule. We don't watch the clock and say, God, you told me that this was going to happen. We say, God, we're going to allow you to be the one to make these things transpire in his time. Well, again, I want to go back to the Psalms. And let the text speak for itself. I want to look at four Psalms starting in Psalm 27. So, in Psalm 27, in verse 14, and again, if you want to jot these down and go back and read the entire Psalm, you're welcome to do so and encouraged to do so this week. But, Psalm 27, and in verse 14, it says, Wait, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And this is David. And David, who's the primary author of the Psalms, had to understand the importance and learn the importance of waiting on God. That may be one of the quintessential challenges of being a follower of God is being patient on God. Because sometimes we don't like waiting. Most of us don't like waiting, period. Most of us are tapping our foot at the microwave because two and a half minutes is just too long to wait for something to cook. But we must wait on the Lord and allow him to operate in his timetable. Just a page or two over in your Bibles, in the 33rd Psalm, in verse 20, the Bible says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Our soul waits on the Lord. In Psalm 37, in verses 7 through 9, which we'll read all three of those verses, he says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. That tells me, by the way, that if a person is told to wait patiently, that may mean it's possible to not wait patiently. And we have all been probably guilty of that from time to time. But he says, wait patiently for him. Don't fret because of him who prospers in his way or because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret; it only causes harm. If you want to memorize a part of a verse, memorize that. Don't fret; it only causes harm. Now, if we can just put that into practice, right? Memorizing it's the easy part. Putting it into practice when uh, your house falls apart, when your health falls apart, when those that you care about seem to be falling apart. Don't fret; just wait on God. It only causes harm. For evil doers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord. Drop down to verse 34 of this beautiful psalm. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. And then very quickly turn over to Psalm 130, verse 5. Psalm 130 and verse 5. Here the psalmist says in verses 5 and verse 6. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Apparently, the psalmist understood that we need to be men and women who wait on the Lord. And I said that that was the final passage on this point, but again, we're all about bonus passages tonight. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 25 verse 9 where it says, It is said in that day, behold, Isaiah 25 verse 9, we have waited for him and he will save us. So if you like underlining things in your Bible, underline the two words there, wait and save. We wait on God and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We have to wait on the Lord and be patient in him. Well, there's a third statement. I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. And what's the third thing? If it's not for the third thing, this sermon is a failure because our faith is of no good. Because we know that God will hear me. And in spite of whatever challenge you're going through, whatever difficulty you are experiencing, God will hear me. Remember, again he says, certainly. Prayer is to be made with a certain amount of confidence. Remember Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 where it says I will boldly come before the throne. Not in an arrogant way. Not with a pompous attitude, but with a sense of, God, you will hear me. I know you hear me. So it reminds me of the story I was told a few months ago of someone who was modeling their prayer after what the pastor had told them. And that is, God, if you happen to hear me, that is not the approach that we should have with God. We go to God and say, God, I know you hear me. I know you love me. And I am asking you for whatever it is that you're asking for. Certainly, the entirety of our relationship with God and prayer should not just be asking. But Hebrews chapter 4 says that we may have the opportunity to ask Him when we are in need. And so the worst thing that we can do in life is to have a need and say, well, I'm not going to go to God with that need. That violates Hebrews chapter 4 and it violates every page of the Bible. There is no maybe in Micah's statement. And that's very important to understand. My God will hear me. Well, again, we go back to the Psalms and look at four Psalms very quickly before we close. One of those is in Psalm 13, verse 3. Psalm 13, verse 3. Here we have the psalmist who is writing and he says, Consider and hear me. You ever stop and think about the fact that God considers you? God considers me. He's considerate of us. And there are times when we pray and we need to say, God, thank you for just being considerate of me. The fact that you, among, what, 7 billion people who are alive right now, give or take, that you hear me? You care about me? That's amazing. Consider me and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of of death, What a beautiful passage. Furthermore, in the 18th Psalm, in verse 6, In my distress I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. And guess what happened? God couldn't be awoken. No. Oh, that's not what happened in verse 6. Did you see what happens in the second part of verse 6? He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. That's an encouraging verse. If you like writing down post-it notes and verses that are encouraging, write down Psalm 18.6. Better yet, commit it to memory where it says, I cried out to my God and he heard my voice from his temple and it even made its way to his ears because God cares about me and he cares about you. In Psalm 66 and verse 19, you may say, wait a minute, these are a lot of Psalms. Just, gee, just glad I didn't use all of them tonight because we'd be here for an awful long time. But Psalm 66, verse 19 says, Certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And finally, in the 116th Psalm, in the introductory verses, it says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Do you ever think about that? Reasons we love the Lord. You can make a list. Why do I love the Lord? Well... You you got enough time for that? Because there's a lot of reasons. We say count your many blessings. Name them one by one. If you ever stop and do that, you're going to be there for a long, long time. Someone said instead of counting sheep when you can't sleep, just count your blessings because that will eventually get you to the point where you're exhausted because there are so many of them. But he says, I love the Lord. And the reason I love the Lord is because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to hear me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. And God does not have a problem hearing. There are no hearing aids in heaven. There is no impediment to successful hearing in heaven. That will be true when we get there, which is great. But it will also be true right now in that God hears us and loves us. Prayer should be appreciated on every level individually and communally when we come together on occasions like this and we pray it is not again an exercise where the elder said well we can't figure out how to start services so we'll start it with prayer and we can't figure out a nice way of ending it so we'll end it with prayer there's nothing uh, sacrament about starting and ending with prayer but what better way to start our worship to God than saying, God, praise you and thank you. And what better way to end our time together by saying, God, thank you and praise you. And what better way to begin your, your day and end your day and in between your day and whatever you have opportunity to be prayerful to God and say, God, thank you for hearing me. I love you because you hear me. Incorporate that into your prayer life this week. God, I'm thankful to you for a lot of reasons. But I'm thankful that you hear me. Thank you for listening. Sometimes we just need someone to listen to us. And God is always there to listen to us. Well, let's end with three shoulds. I don't even know if the word shoulds is a word, but I made it a word, so it's now a word. The three shoulds to remember with an R at the end. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I don't know if... See, see, David and I... We work so well together, even our PowerPoints malfunction on the same day. (laughs) The three shoulds to remember. Number one, I should trust in God more than anything else as God is the only source of protection. Let me read that one more time. I should trust in God more than anything else, more than the Egyptian horses and the armies of the West, as God is the only source of protection. Secondly, I should trust that God will take care of everything in his time and in his ways. You know what? That's easy to say. Yep, I believe that. But boy, that's hard to apply sometimes. That I've got to trust that God's going to work in his ways and his times. And then finally, it's all about trust tonight. I should trust that God hears me and wants me to come before him in prayer. It is never a burden to go before God in prayer. Again, we're not arrogant in the way that we pray. We don't have uh, an egotistical attitude in saying, God, now listen up. We would never be that disrespectful. But when you go to God in prayer, God says, I care about you. I want to hear you. And I want to see what you have to say. And my ear is inclined toward you. What a beautiful picture of the beautiful God that we have the privilege to serve. And I said it's all about trust. We end with this simple question tonight. Where is your trust? And if your trust is not in God, your trust is not in the right spot. If your trust is in, as we talked about Wednesday evening, in our good Bible class from Brother Bain, your finances or your physical health or in the asset of your home, even your family, if that's where your trust is, That's not where it belongs. It belongs in God himself because only God hears and God cares as deeply as he does. And so if you're not a Christian, we ask that you consider, if you've not already done so, becoming a Christian. Consider that. Maybe you are considering that. Maybe you're on the verge of being baptized. Maybe you've been putting it off for a few weeks or a few months or maybe a lifetime and you're ready to say, you know what, it's time for me to submit myself to Jesus Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, we would welcome the opportunity to help you or answer questions. And we'll be patient with you as you ask those questions. And we'll give you answers that come from God's word, not from our own opinions. If that's something that you're ready to do tonight, we'll baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins. If, as a child of God, you need help, You have a lot of people here tonight who care deeply about you and who want to help you. And if we can assist you in any way, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.